are listening to the Slash and Cast Podcast Network. Enjoy the show. <laughs> All right, folks, Justin here with a quick word before we dive in. This episode features myself and Daniel, and we get a chance to chat with video game designer and CEO of Obsidian Entertainment, Mr. Fergus Urquhart, about tabletop RPGs, fantasy, science fiction, beta testing, classic games, and a whole lot more. So without further ado, here you go, and remember to leave us a review if you enjoy the show. Greetings, boils and ghouls. This is your comrade, the Crypt Keeper here, reporting dead from the sanctuary of the strange. Tonight's macabre myth is a fright-filled feature, one overflowing with monsters, madness, and magic. <laughs> Fergus, we don't do anything fancy here, so we're just going to dive right in. Just take us back in time. You know, you're a kid. What sort of helped spark your creativity? Obviously, I'm going to guess you were in the games where you're also reading, building forts. What's the scoop there? There was a lot of fort building. I'm trying to think. <laughs> no, you know, I was. I got into. I, I got into games um, pretty early on. It was. It was. I think exactly when it was. It was. I think it was like fifth or sixth grade, and I was at a friend's. Like, actually, a guy invited me to his birthday party, and I knew him from school, but not super well. And then I found out he was into. Dungeons and Dragons. And I, I had yes. heard about Dungeons and Dragons at that time, but I didn't really know what it was. And that kind of really, he kind of showed me all of the books and the modules. And it was like this kind of, I don't know, it was just like, wow, it was this world and where you could have a character and have a Vorpal sword, you know, and, 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 you know, and all these things, you know, keep on the borderlands and against the giants and <laughs> Tomb of Horrors and the yellow one that I can't think of the name right now, but all the different modules. And uh, for him as well is like, he also had, his dad was really into computers and built a and like built he had like an apple II plus that he kind of like modified into an apple IIe so that it had more memory and then he got wizardry nice and then another friend of mine his dad got a really early ibm pc and he had some some of the original infocom things like zork it was a detective one. I can't think of the name of it. I want to say not Deadlands, but something like that's a different, whole different RPG. But anyway, so I think there was this time of when I was like fifth and sixth grade. And, and so this was like 1980. And it was just sort of personal computers. You were starting to see in people's houses. And then, you know, when I got into D&D, I started going to gaming conventions. So I'm down here in Orange County, California. And up starting like pretty much right around maybe a few years earlier than when I got into D&D, a group of guys started a gaming convention in um, originally in Anaheim, which is right by Disneyland, but then it kind of transferred up to LAX, so right by Los the LA airport in LA, and into, into one of the hotels. And they would do that three times a year: President's Day, Memorial Day, Labor Day. And so I started to do that. And then in and then I got a Commodore 64 uh, in eighth <laughs> grade. And so I got really into games. I played Ultima. A friend of mine, I probably own. I I, I really should give Richard Garriott like 50 bucks the next time I see him. But um, <laughs> in that, uh, like I was playing Ultima 2. That of course was hacked. I did buy Ultima 3 and Ultima 4 uh, and I bought Bard's Tale. A couple one of my friends had Mind Magic. So I played in that period of time in like, you know, 8th, 9th, 7th, 8th, 9th, 10th. I, I played all of those like classic, classic RPGs mm. and while still gaming, you know, doing tabletop back then. We did all different kinds of, you know, we did D&D. Um, I had this sci-fi one that I loved called Other Sons. And then there was this weird one called Paranoia that was super strange. And then yeah. West End Games came out with, that was West End Games, I think. And then they came out with like a, their own version of like a Star Wars or anyway, so all that. Yep. and then you know and that just sort of stayed with me I got into comic books as well I had to do the trifecta right so I then I got into comic books at some point like in my uh, early high school and went started going to the in 1984 started going to the San Diego Comic-Con when I know this is super strange it was just about comic books <laughs> <laughs> what? So, literally it was all comic books like, <laughs> I went like for three or four, three or four years in a row. And then I stopped going for a while. And then like in 2005, I went, so I, I kind of didn't go for 
geez, probably about 15 years. And then I was surprised when I went back and I'm like, where's all the comic books? <laughs> and, then, and then my, my, my guy, one of my guys I was with goes, oh, you see, you, you see the corner like over there, just look far away. And they get to the corner where they were actually selling comic books. So uh, anyway, so that's yeah. our long winded, but that was sort of how my whole like world of games and I guess creativity and characters and stories, it was all based in that world of tabletop moving into computer games and then also comic books. It's fun. I just, I hear, just hear you talk. We had a similar trajectory. It's mm-hmm. just, it, it warms the heart. Now I was born in 80. So I can, okay. you were, you were one of the cool kids in high school <laughs> at the time when I would have been just introduced mm-hmm. to Dungeons and Dragons. But yep. yeah, it's, I love hearing this trajectory yeah. of it. What was your first breakout like into the video game in aspects video of it? Yeah. So it's, you know, it, it was, I hate, you know, sometimes it's always bad to say like things are luck, but I was going to school, UCSD, I was University of California, San Diego. And I was going to be, I was in engineering. I was particularly going to be a bioengineer. Bioengineer is not like genetics and making strange animals. No, it's it's more prosthetics and me- medical equipment and stuff like that. Man, was that's so badass, dude. I mean, it's super cool. No, it was, it was a super cool major. <laughs> One of my, uh, my good friend that was actually from high school that was in the gaming club with me. We were still friends now into, into college. And he, his name's Chris Taylor. There's a number of Chris Taylors in the industry. He's not gas powered Chris Taylor, different Chris Taylor. And so he got a job as, in customer service at Interplay. It was called Interplay Productions. Now, and then it became Interplay Entertainment. And then I think it was the summer, yeah, summer of my junior year. So after my first year at UCSD, uh, he said, hey, we need testers, right? And so I got to, so basically I got brought in as like a tester during the summer. And I got to, I got to, it was weirdly, I got to test uh, one of those super early ones that they they gave me to test was this Super Nintendo game called RPM Racing. And it was by Silicon and Synapse, which then became Blizzard. So I kind of, I got lucky in that I got, not only did I get a job in the industry, from my like first get-go of like being 21 years old, I then got to meet, you know, the guys that, that they're the guys that had started Blizzard. And then that then progressed. I did two summers. After my fifth year of college, there was a full-time producer, so project manager position that was available. And I applied, which how I applied because it's just the game industry back then. At the time, I wasn't working for Interplay. I wasn't, I wasn't working because the testing job hadn't started. I don't remember what it was, but I wasn't working yet. But I was there with friends from high school that were working there full time. And at the time, Interplay had a racquetball court. And so I was just player playing racquetball. They were, I guess, were supposed to be working, but I was there just to play racquetball. And, <laughs> and then my friend, my friend Eric goes, hey, Alan, Alan's got a few minutes and he's the one that's looking for, for, for like an assistant producer. You want to talk to him? I'm like, sure. And I kind of knew Alan. Alan was, Alan Pavlish was a head of development. He was also lead programmer on an RPG that had come out a number of years previously called Wasteland. And so I kind of knew he was. And in the, actually in Orange County, he was a big, like, you know, he was a big BBS guy. And his and his and his alias in Orange <laughs> County. His alias in Orange County was the jerk. The and BBS. So that, yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, so he, I'm sitting there, I'm sweating, and I just sat down, and he asked me a few questions, and I just talked to him about, it, and he, he kind of knew who I was, and he said, "All right, yeah, you can have the job." So I took the job, and then that led me to try to commute from, which was about an 80 mile. 80 mile commute down to college back and forth. I lived up in near interplay, but then I was trying to commute, which didn't work. So then I dropped out of college and that was sort of my start into now full-time doing my game thing. So you just showed up, kind of like the joke about Ethan Hawke. He was never supposed to be in Hollywood. He just happened to show up one day to be in a movie. The director just let him and now they just let him continue (laughs) on doing it. He was just never actually supposed to be there. You say it was an RPM racing slide. What was your first game that you got to work on at Interplay? Because Interplay's got when Justin told me who you were coming on wow. here I said oh yeah and I was like interplay holy hell I used to play the crap out of out of this world oh and yeah I, I remember battle chesses like were you there around when they were doing so I tested world? out of this world no Whoa. shit yeah, I was yeah, telling I... Justin that game was this was a phenomenal time but all right yeah. kids for you younger kids BBS stands for bulletin board service so that yeah. we're dating ourselves here out of this world was a game that was very polygonal mm-hmm. <laughs> in nature it was also unique because on the Super Nintendo, even on the PC, but I first played it on the computer, but then I've rented it on the Super Nintendo in that it had cinematic cutscenes. Now, mm-hmm. the only other game I was used to, the two other games I was used to seeing this on was Ninja Gaiden on Nintendo and Cyanax on the Nintendo. But mm-hmm. as far as like other games, just being that cinematic, Out of This World was one of the very, yeah. it, it played like a movie. It was super interesting and it was also super hard. I, 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 was, <laughs> I almost so want to say like, like people like, I mean, of course, like, you know, have like Demon Souls, you know, original Dark, you know, Dark Souls, but the Demon 
Demon Souls, like where you know, I don't know. I, the only time I've ever like picked up my PlayStation controller and thrown it across the room because I was. So I can angry. relate. I was so angry, but another like Alice World was like that. Like I mean, it was so perfect timing and so this. And you kind of knew, you kind of needed to know really what you did. So it was very much like this. Ah, damn it, and have to go back and start again and go and, and go all the way through it. So it was it was sort of a, a good precursor to your. It, it just make it, it was just hard. If the game's a classic. You can go ahead. We could talk. I'll tell you. I mean, yeah. controls suck. That game pissed me <laughs> off so bad just trying to play it. This is one of those dumbass games that whoever was controlling it, whoever programmed it, decided to make jump up. Yes. James Rolfe, my other spirit animal, because I found out we're only like a month apart, so no wonder I latched onto him as soon as he started the angry video game nerd stuff. Back in the day, angry Nintendo nerd. Yeah, one of his pet peeves was, you know, they made jump the up button. So yep. yeah, and out of this world, jump is the up button. Oh yeah, yeah. so is shoot. No, it was super weird. So well, yeah, so like, so yeah. It's like still I, fun. It's, oh no, 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 no. I mean, it actually, I mean, because <laughs> I actually just played it the other day, or maybe not like six months ago, because you can download it. I'm not, okay. Yes, I work for Microsoft. I'm not trying to pimp Microsoft, but you can download it. I just download because I think it was on Game Pass. And so I just downloaded downloaded on Game Pass to try it. Uh -huh. I'm like, wow, because I hadn't played it probably 30 years. Yeah. <laughs> like, like some so insane thing like that. I'm like, oh, yeah, it is still. <laughs> <laughs> Are the controls still like that or did they remap? So, well, it's on, the, it's, you know, it's on the game pad right now. So it's a little bit different. I forgot what jump. I think, I think it makes more sense now. I don't think it's like right, That's left, good. and up is jump i don't think it's that way i think it's actually jump is a button probably because i never i don't think i'm trying to remember i even played the super nintendo nintendo version it's on a console it's a console port yeah. stuff but i do remember the other cool thing about that because like i said it's like playing a movie it also had death animation one of the things while you were still getting oh ha, 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 the game was fun is all the different ways that you would get killed and you know <laughs> while the game was still enjoyable but then eventually you got tired of seeing all the cutscenes. but like the first scene of out of this world when you watch the opening cinematic because i read the magazines man i had pc gamer before it was called pc gamer i think i was reading in the magazine articles about it that lester night chicken performs a scientific experiment i'm, I'm sitting there hearing the 80s soundtrack in my head and i'm hearing <laughs> don lafontaine's voice being like oh yeah and then i ended up playing it and so when you kick the game off you just swoosh you splash into water and you just sit there and you're like oh i guess i'll move up well as you move up you start seeing these tentacles come yep, up yep and exactly yeah pull you down that's the yep. first your second death is when you finally climb out and you walk and touch the leech <laughs> and you yeah, exactly yeah, yeah, yeah and then it kills you <laughs> so yeah, yeah fun game great times <laughs> <laughs> now what's funny is is so just so uh, just a couple years ago so the guy who made that was a guy named eric chahi who's french when he was like looking for names he then had to get names that were similar in different territories so he actually ended up owning the rights I didn't think it was potentially called this in, J in Japan was out of this world because it's often called out of this world, another world, another world. But in Japan, it was the outer world. And so, and we've made in, 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 in city and we made the outer worlds. And so we couldn't trademark the outer worlds in Japan because Eric had that mark. Now he's super cool. I was able to get a hold of him and he remembered me, which was awesome. And so I said, Hey, can we just use this for this? He's like, of course. And so he signed all the paperwork and everything. So, so oddly, I just, I literally just talked to him a couple years ago. Yeah, that's Ooh. cool. So we were looking through the roster just on Wikipedia. It's like, you know, the list of interplay games. And I mean, it was just a nostalgia trip. And yeah, sure enough, the second one is Another World. Now, what about yeah. Alone in the Dark? Did you test any of that? So I didn't, I just missed Alone in the Dark. So it was like, it was just coming in as I was transitioning out. So like the biggest, so I, I tested random, random stuff. But I tested like Lost Vikings. Dude. I did some battle chess. I did some battle chess. I think CD, Battle Chess CD was called MPC or something like that. I tested Castles, Castles 2, Dvorak teaches typing, Mario teaches typing, Buzz Aldrin's Race into Space. <laughs> yeah, uh, I try to think. Oh, I mean, the one I tested a ton of was the Bardstale Construction Set. I was actually the lead tester on that with Tim Kane. It was so weird because Bardstale Construction Set was based, I mean, it was what it sounded like, it was this idea of like, you go make your own Bardstale with this, right? And so so then Tim would sort of expose, like, here's all the variables of a spell, right? And, and then he's like, okay, go test. And I'm like, test what? And he's like, well, you have to test that all the variables work. Okay, but doing some math because I was an engineer, there's like 19 factorial combinations here. How, like he goes, I don't know, figure it out. So I had to come up with some like crazy system of like, 
Well, that I, well, I'm not going to test all versions of that and this and this and this and this. And then that was just spells. And I had to do items, and weapons and monsters and all that other kind of stuff. But it was still, it was, it, it, it was a lot of fun. And, and it's funny, every once in a while, I'll actually talk to someone and they'll go, I remember that. You know, I tried to go make Bard's Tale and didn't. But, you know, so, but people, people seem to enjoy it. <laughs> it seems like that was right up your alley being coming from D&D. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah. Do it like a creator. So is that yeah. Neverwinter Nights, that game consumed me. I didn't have like a big gaming pc at the time i had mm-hmm. a laptop that i was recording my soundtracks and stuff much like your know, trajectory you had growing up i like shitty barbarian movies and stuff just uh <laughs> it's a style of music now you would call it dungeon synth but it's like dark ambient but it's just yeah. it's fantasy music heavy on the synthesizers and stuff mm-hmm. and i just i love those crappy movies like ator the fighting eagle and stuff and you know i always wanted to make my own movie Crawl. <laughs> yes it's like the closest thing oh well i mean other than masters of the universe the movie crawl is one of the closest things we've gotten to a he-man live action film that just yep. that sword and sorcery mm-hmm. and laser beams at the same time <laughs> but see never winter nights came out and i had it on my laptop played the crap out of it but then around about this time machinima had started making a name for itself people yeah. didn't even know how to pronounce it what, what is machinima and, and this was back kids just like the bulletin board services the same things you would go on the forum boards or pro oh. board i had read some you know talk whispers about you know making movies digital movies and stuff so this was perfect for me was the neverwinter nights campaign builder i never <laughs> got to build anything because you basically had to get a programming degree was that you're in, like did you have anything to do with that aspect of neverwinter nights uh, like the creation i forgot i forgot what they even called it like the world builder or whatever yeah, the world builder yeah i mean i, I it's, it was the uh, they had different names for their different engines and now they're well now it's it's a, it's escaping i can't remember i was trying yeah, to yeah it's, it's, it's i can i can like i can all because like there was the jade empire version of the engine and then the uh-huh. Kotor version of the engine and then the neverwinter version of the engine and all that no so what happened was there is so i was involved to an extent in neverwinter night so what really happened was is that I worked like my first game that was, I don't want to say start to finish, but the game that I actually had the most design work in, in earliest in my career was, was a mech game called Shattered Steel. And that was Bioware's, that was Bioware's first published game. And so I was the producer and then I worked with Greg and Ray and the, you know, the team, the two main guys that ran that project were Trent Oster and Brent Oster. So the Batwing Oster brothers, um, I used to call them. And Trent went on and Trent actually runs Beamdog uh, that does all the, the, all the yeah. like all the ports of all the so that's what Trent does now. So he's still in the industry. Brent actually is a programmer, and I'm not sure where he's programming right now, but I know he's he's still a pro he was a programmer in the industry up until a few years ago. We did Shattered Steel and then or they did Shattered Steel. I was their external producer. And so what I mean by that is so like Interplay hired Bioware and the, and then it ended up being a sub company called Pyrotech. So they hired them to make Shattered Steel. And then I worked for Interplay as like their external manager. Mm-hmm. But back in the day, you, even if you were the external manager, you had a lot to do. Like I visited them all, to, all the time. I went up to Calgary and Edmonton and all that kind of stuff. Anyway, so then we, so Shattered, we ship Shattered Steel, Shattered Steel, and then we went to work shot in Shattered Steel too. And that would have been, um, we shipped Shattered Steel, I think 1996. And so then, and then they were already now, we were, we were, we were just signing them up to do Baldur's Gate and now like, but they still had another team was sh- and was Shattered Steel and they were, I think they might have already been talking about MDK at the time. But anyway, so Shattered Steel 2 and it, it was moving, you know, they had like this new technology of like breaking through walls and all this other kind of stuff and it looked cool, but Shattered Steel just didn't sell a lot. And so Interplay kind of came back to me and was saying, hey, I just, we just don't want to move forward with Shattered Steel. We want to work with them. Can you come up with some other idea? And kind of that led to me and Greg and Ray and Trent. And we just said, you know, we were talking about D&D and they were already working in Baldur's Gate, but they wanted to, what else could we do? Because now Baldur's Gate is story. Could we do something where it's like the, a module builder, right? And have it be multiplayer and let people build modules and play modules. Because at the time, actually, Neverwinter Nights was Neverwinter Nights was just shutting down or there was something going on. I can't remember where there was an original Neverwinter Nights that was from SSI, which was like hosted in like Genie and all these, this super old time yeah. type thing that people like there was a hardcore group of people that spent a ton of money <laughs> yeah. on it. And anyway, so so we're like, okay, well, Neverwinter Nights is sort of the online brand, multiplayer brand of, of D&D. So let's just go with Neverwinter Nights. And, and so that's what we did. So we just talked about it. And then Trent took that idea and, you know, went forward and worked with people taking, you know, technology that was being developed from Baldur's Gate was sort of the rendering engine that came, originally the rendering engine came from Shattered Steel. I mean, it made a lot of progress after that. But yeah, so that then became their 3D engine which then they used for Dragon Age and KOTOR. 
I mean, that game splashed hard. Mm-hmm. It, it just thinking about it's it's funny. I, I love doing the like meeting people in the industry because it's just to think back at the times when it came out. Sort of like Wing Commander three. Like mm-hmm. try and see, my son is seventeen, but he's big nerd. So then growing up with me, of course, it's not but wrestling and Nintendo. So he's interested in this stuff, and it's just trying to explain to him certain things or you know describe to him what it felt like at the time. Yeah, but yeah, that never went or nice, man. That thing splashed hard. I mean, it got me back into PC game and I don't know like aspects of it it really I don't want to it didn't revolutionize us such a hyperbole but I mean you guys like injected a new life in the CRPG gameplay mm-hmm. system with Baldur's Gate and Neverwinter Nights and stuff and I remember talking to my son because see my son is an animator and so he's dabbled with like Minimator and he's at, he just now I got to the point he just hand draws for his mm-hmm. animations to make his cartoons like Don Bluth but uh, I was telling him about Neverwinter Nights and about Machinima and how that came to be and just <laughs> explaining to him like man it never went nice that game hit me hard i was like 60 hours in that game in one week i was like what the hell <laughs> that thing was rough. and then just telling it like it was almost like a domino effect because whatever it was y'all did with Neverwinter Nights, Baldur's Gate did that come out before Neverwinter Nights? Like on yeah, PC? yeah. So so the I mean just quickly so the trajectory or the the kind of the, the timeline of all these games was so so in 1996 I was put in charge of the RPG division at Interplay, which then would eventually be called Black Owl Studios. But at the time it was just called yeah. RPG division. And so what we were working at the time we were working on so I was already I was already working on games that were when I was a producer and so now I was put in charge of this division so I kind of brought my games with me that I had to get finished which was Shattered Steel and Lost Vikings 2 and another game called Red Asphalt and and then we were working so the, and then the so the RPGs at the time there was all this stuff there was like two or three Planescape games and then there was a number of other deeds and ultimately what came out of all that eventually was we shipped Fallout 1 we shipped a, a game called Descent to Undermountain which used the Descent 3D engine yeah but made an RPG. It was not a good fit, but, but we got it done. That's what sometimes I hate to say. And sometimes in games, as long as you get it done and, and you're not embarrassed of it <laughs> and then that's a win, right? Like just from some, you know, I mean, that, that really not always yeah. back in the day. Cause all of us were working on so many, so much stuff. But anyway, so we got to center mine. So Fallout one. And while that's all going on, Bio uh, working on Baldur's Gate one. And then we in turn take the Baldur's Gate engine and we make Icewind Dale and Planescape Torment. Okay. And, and then eventually Icewind Dale two. And while that's all going on, kind of moving forward more into like 98, 99, we then hook up with Snowblind Studios and they're making what becomes Baldur's Gate Dark Alliance. So we're working with Bioware, we're working with Snowblind Studios, and we're doing our own internal stuff. And out of that, between like 1996 and 2001, gets you all those games, Fallout 1, yeah. Fallout 2, Icewind 1, Icewind 2. And at the time, we were working with them on Neverwinter Nights. What's kind of sad was Neverwinter, there was, there was some issues with Interplay and the D&D license and some other stuff. So while we worked with Bioware on Neverwinter Nights for about three, three and a half years, it then got transferred to Atari and then six months later it shipped. So we actually worked yeah. on it with Bioware. I mean, Bioware did all the work. So don't, I mean, I was involved to an extent, but like never want to take anything away from them from all of that. So, but it was super cool back in the day, back then, because we got to work on this stuff internally that we ourselves were developing. And then we got to work with Bioware and stuff they were developing. And then we just sort of had this cross thing, like, like there's code from Fallout in Baldur's Gate, right? Because because we just gave them all our code. Um, and so that they're like, oh, that's how you did this. And how is that? Oh, we can just take a little bit. Of, I'm not saying a lot of code. Don't take, it's not like they took the Fallout engine by any stretch of the means. But they used the example of what we did in Fallout for some stuff in the original Baldur's Gate. That Dark Alliance, I played shit out of those games too. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, it was, it's, it's that time that time period, you know, it was just, I had nothing to do. Let's, it, I mean, the way you say it, it was like 98, I was 18, 2000. So, I mean, I was out of college. College. I had my degree, and so I was just, you know, just working to come home, make a black metal, and play video games. It's like that's all I did. That is seriously, that's all I did. So, yeah, and for some room. reason, we at some point decided we needed to move on from that, which I don't know why did we, we do did. that. Who's we? Yeah, I must say, no. I don't think Daniel did. <laughs> well, he said there was a child involved yeah, yeah, at some right. point, or you know, there had to be some <laughs> distraction. <laughs> man child here just think about the dark alliance it's cool that you actually worked on that because oh yeah man i played the hell out of that game Mm -hmm. because it was diablo and that was the latest craze but i didn't have a pc at the time that could run diablo 2 yeah i was 
I was basically like Lot. I was the prodigal child. I was exile. I was Cain. I had to go east of Eden in the land of Nod because <laughs> my PC at the time couldn't run Diablo 2. So I had to, you know, play console for a while and stuff. Then eventually I got my laptop and now I was able to go back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Revisiting the stuff. And that's why I remember Neverwinter Nights had, had made such a big splash and a big impact on me. And then just from that, the trajectory, because it wasn't too much longer after that, KOTOR, mm-hmm. which, now were you involved with Nice the Old Republic? So we did the second one. So we did so. So Bioware did the first one, and then the company, what they wanted to do was go and and make their own sci-fi, and that's what became Mass Effect. So that's yeah. kind of what happened there. And and but but LucasArts wanted another wanted another Kotor because the first one had done so well, and that was just when we were starting Obsidian. And so the, so what was funny is I was so like starting the studio and and kind of coming off a lot of problems at Interplay, and so I kind of had been. I mean, not that I wasn't, I just wasn't as, wasn't as knowledgeable about what everything that was going on in the industry for this like six or nine months period. So I get a call from LucasArts, uh, Simon Jeffrey, and who, run, who was running LucasArts at the time. And he said, hey, so I was talking to Rain Greg and they're confidentially, they're not going to go on and make a coach or two. Do you guys want to do? And, and I said, uh, uh, that sounds, that sounds great. Let me talk to my partners. Cause a part of me at the time is like, what the fuck is KOTOR? Like, like I just been, I was just. <laughs> Because it wasn't out yet. That was the other thing. It was right. not, it had not shipped yet. And so I was like, I was like, oh, geez, what is it? And so, um, and then we got like a pre-release version. We played it. We're like, oh, it's freaking awesome. Yeah, totally do it. And, and Chris Avalone, you know, one of my partners who founded the, he just, he then just went and he bought every Star Wars comic book, game supplement, novel, even as he said, the, the totally crappy young Jedi. Uh, yeah, I think it was called the Young Jedi YA novels. <laughs> and he just then consumed all of them. And out of that came the, the, the KOTOR 2 story. Which is arguably the better of the two as far as the story goes. And, and it just the improvements. First of all, you could run and flip your lightsabers at any point in the game whatsoever. <laughs> Running around, it's like, I'm going to play some pays. Like, it's the little things. <laughs> and, yeah, and your blaster. <laughs> Not to mention, see, you couldn't do that in the first one. You could go <laughs> with the lightsabers. You couldn't twirl your blasters. KOTOR 2, see it. Johnny, <laughs> Johnny Ringo walking around twirling my blasters. I'm going to Oh, yeah. That was cool as hell. KOTOR 2, like I said, arguably the story was great. I, it had to be intimidating. It's a LucasArts Star Wars property, and this is the height. So we were doing this as Lucas as Lucas was working on Episode 3. So that's what was that was kind of what was going on. Uh, and, oh, um, and so, I don't know. I guess it wasn't intimidating. I, I don't know. It's funny. Back then, we were still kind of youngish. I was like 33, so not old. Old, but not, I guess, yeah. funny enough. I don't know. We just didn't think about it. It was like an opportunity. We'd already made enough RPGs. I remember, even though I really didn't start making RPGs until 1996, and this is 2003, like me and my partner, you know, founding partners and other people that all worked together, at that point in time, we had worked on, and I'm going to get this number wrong. We worked on, let's see, I mean, let's say Fallout, BG. I'm just going to say Fallout, BG, Torment, Fallout 2. We had to work on four RPG of the year products, right? So, I don't know if it was a little bit of arrogance, but it was already like, hey, we got this. Right? It was just a, like, you know, <laughs> I mean, confidence. And on, confidence. Top this, it's all, I, I, on top of it was a sequel. Yeah. And we were working with Bioware's tech, which we were already familiar with because we used the Baldur's Gate engine back at, at Black Isle. So it just, it felt like a natural progression, which we just were, we just were comfortable. Like, I mean, we knew, it, I mean, it was going to be a freaking hard because yeah. we had, like, we, 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 we signed the contract, God, I don't know, like. I want to say like August of 93 and we were shipping or we, we had to submit in October of 90. You know, we, we signed the contract in August of 2003 and we had to submit the game in October of 2004. God. We had 14 months from the sign. Now we've been working on it a little bit by that point, but but I would say like, I mean, yeah, I mean, it was like, I might, and I might have my dates a little bit, well, not the October. That's, that's the absolute, but we were like 14, 15, 16 months from like start done, you know, and that was a little crazy. I mean, but, 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 you know, it was the opportunity. We started a studio and this was the, the opportunity and it was an amazing opportunity. And so like, we just didn't question it. We just, just, you know, like, you know, I know they yeah. say that like Halo was the killer app for the the original Xbox. Yeah. But funnily enough, I didn't buy an original. I my buddy had an Xbox. I went over and played Halo. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm more of a Doom guy. So uh, you know, I didn't Halo was cool and all, but I didn't really it didn't wasn't the Xbox. Yeah, yeah. At the time, my wife bought me the original Xbox, the Morrowind. Mm-hmm. And so, and I was gone. That was it. I'm done. I, I 
it was kind of like the sixth sense. I'd hear her walking around in the halls crying <laughs> and stuff because she thought I was dead. And then, you know, six months later, I emerged from my room, my beard, I see the sunlight because she thought I was dying, but I was just in there playing Marwin. But no, the other thing that really sold the Xbox was KOTOR. Yeah. Like just those two games, just uh-huh. Halo did it. And then when KOTOR came out, I mean, that pretty much is what catapulted the Xbox straight on up there. Because the PlayStation couldn't handle it because yeah, yeah, of just yeah. the memory requirements. It was, the, it was totally, yeah. It was just how the, it was basically, yeah, just how, how, you know, how the memory worked. Yeah. And then, so all of a sudden, then KOTOR 2 comes out and it's like, oh yeah. So, I mean, I imagine it, the reason I'm just saying that's a lot of pressure is because, I mean, that KOTOR, that was a big deal. Yeah, 2004 yeah. was like one of the best years for games anyway. I mean, it gave us Doom, Doom 3. So, mm-hmm, I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, every, everything else is just icing on the cake at the time. But yeah, and then the fact that, I mean, so you got KOTOR and then Doom 3 on the Xbox. And then if I'm not just back in Morrowind, just wasting my life even more. So yeah, it was <laughs> phenomenal times. <laughs> Did you have anything to do with Mass Effect? By that time, because, you know, we were running Obsidian, right? So that's now our, you know, we're now a developer ourselves. Okay. We got we to keep in business. We got to do right. our thing. So that point, at that point, we're just a developer. We're not in, at Interplay anymore where we were both a developer and sort of a manager of developers. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so we just, we just, we just sort of did our thing. And, you know, and, and Ray and Greg and us, like, because there's a lot of confidentiality stuff, we were, we kind of just tried to keep a little, little careful. I mean, I knew, you know, I started to know more about Mass Effect. You know, I don't know by 2005 or something like that. But, but yeah, we, were, I was just, we were just in our, in our world, just working a ton just to, just to get Kotor and then get Kotor out the door and then ramp up Neverwinter Nights too. I got you. So, I mean, well, I hate you, Justin. I'm sitting here. Just- <laughs> hey, I'm, I'm just, I'm just along for the ride. It's fair to say you've been a professional in the gaming business since '91. '91, yeah. Right. Okay, so for a layman like myself, would you say that the advancement of technology, of course, it's made games visually and graphically better. Has it made your job harder? Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's made it harder. I mean, just just because like it's just the amount of money now. Like, I mean, obviously there's inflation and, and everything else. So like a, a dollar from from 1991 is, you know, worth four dollars from, you know, 2021 or it's actually less than four dollars, probably like three, three dollars. But anyway, so I mean. So if it cost us a million dollars to make a game in 1991, it should cost us $3 million to make this to same, a same, you know, let's say quality game. What well, doesn't cost $3 million, it costs $90 million, right? So, so, right. So like, that's the math, right? So managing a process that has gone up by, you know, a multiplied by 30 is just, you know, you have teams of like, you know, we have, a t- we generally have teams of like a hundred people working on a game at one point with millions of dollars in outsourcing that we do every year. And so then, then the pressure then is the pressure then is everything then has to be successful. Like you can't fail. Like, so, so that leads to, that leads to different kinds of decisions. Now, luckily for us, we get to do what we love, which is make role-playing games. And so a lot of it is us just constantly thinking, about how do we make role-playing games that are that continue to move forward and are interesting and stuff like that. So there's not always there's an, I mean for us there's not necessarily in the big games an opportunity to do something completely whacked. But I don't see games like Neverwinter or Mass Effect and those not whacked decisions, right? Those were those were good decisions by like Ray and Greg and others involved to kind of continue to move the RPG you know, genre forward. And so, so, th- I mean, that's really the heart. I mean, I, I mean, I go into like a billion other things about polygons <laughs> and shaders and freaking NVIDIA cards costing $2,000 and, <laughs> you know, and, and, you know, and, and, you know, the unreal two and a half engine and I, all this stuff through the years, right. It really is just that issue of it's 30 times more complicated or it's, it's 30 times more involved than it was in 1991 to make the same, in essence, the same quality level of a thing. If y'all could make some kind of engine that would do kind of like RPG Maker, but back to like <laughs> the Neverwinter Nights, but, uh, you know, kind of more of a graphical overlay, just so yeah. some poor schmuck like me could make his movie just so I could <laughs> score the soundtrack for it. <laughs> y'all, should, y'all should release it. I'd buy it day one. <laughs> Do it on the on the same subject of that. Yeah. Say you could have another crack at an aspect of any previous project you worked mm-hmm. on in the past. What what would it be if you could just have mm-hmm. a redo? That's interesting. I, I think. I mean, I could probably talk about a number of things. So Fallout Two, I really wished was not as buggy when it came out. We really felt that we had worked on it, but the game was so much bigger than Fallout One. I'm not going to say it's twice as big, but it was probably twice as big as Fallout One. Give me some range there. Some people think <laughs> it wasn't. It was sixty nine percent. No, that's that's a fair that's a fair assessment. <laughs> it's a bit. It's 
bigger, right? And so, and it just led to, we weren't as prepared with the number of testers and the timeline. We were on a super short timeline. And uh, so we came out game was a lot, and that was, that was, I felt bad about that. We fi- ended up fixing a lot of the stuff, but I, but I felt bad. And of course now, luckily for people at the time, they of course now have the memories of the totally crazy, wacky bugs. Like, you know, we had like, in Fallout 2, like we added a car, like you had this car, you didn't drive it, but, but once you had the car, it would show up wherever you've gone. And it was basically a, it was basically a stash. You then went to the trunk and the trunk had stuff. Well, the easiest way for the programmers to make that work is they made it a companion, but it was a companion then that didn't move, but it would be constantly have to be told not to move, right? That was the thing it followed you and it wasn't really part, wasn't part of your, it didn't have to, and it couldn't, it was, it followed you every time you transitioned to a different area, but it then wasn't supposed to follow you when you were walking around, except sometimes it would hit like an exception and suddenly the trunk would separate itself from the car and then follow you around. And we're like, and, and that, and of course, everybody that I was like, hey, I got the trunk button. Yeah, I know. <laughs> that up, I know. Uh, so, uh, so follow two. I would, I would, I would say it was definitely. I wish we had understood that it was more, it was buggier than it than it could have been. In Icewind Dale one, I wish we, I wish we had thought of, and we fixed this in Icewind Dale two, but Icewind Dale one, I wish we'd figured out that for some people it was super intimidating that the only way they could play the game was to go and generate six. AD&D second edition characters before they could start the game, which that is a lot of characters that you have yeah, to create <laughs> yourself. Like, and there was no pre, we didn't have pre-generated characters and we didn't have pre-generated parties. And so we fixed that, but it was like, we just didn't think. And that was, that was weird. I think for Neverwinter Night 2, I think the thing there really is, and we kind of, we knew this going in, that one of the challenges of shipping Neverwinter Nights 2 was that, well, Neverwinter Nights 1 already had two main expansions and like two smaller expansions and other stuff that was yeah. released and like three years of like fan created content and all this other kind of stuff, which there was no way we were going to be able to create all of that stuff within Neverwinter Nights 2 and have that be the platform that came out. On top of it, while there was a lot of the Neverwinter Nights 1 community was super happy with like, 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 like basically they were comfortable with how it looked and, and how you put stuff together. Now you fast forward to 2000 into 2006, where there's now much more of an expectation of much better lighting and 3D graphics and yeah. stuff like that. So we had to actually change how areas were created to take all that stuff, which made it harder for a lot of those mods to create stuff. And, but we just accepted that as how it had to be. And so I, I think that for Neverwinter, I, w- I wish we had sort of like thought about, I mean, I, I worked with Atari or, or, or had a better systems for, for the transition for people from Neverwinter Nights 1 to Neverwinter Nights 2. I wish we had done that. And then the last thing I would say, maybe take something more recent, Outer Worlds. Pretty, I'm really happy with Outer Worlds. You know, I actually know Pillars of Eternity 2. We had this thing with Pillars of Eternity 1 that there was the story and you had the character and we made it, it was super important to us that you kind of took your character and went to Pillars 2. And so we needed to make that meaningful. But then for people who were starting Pillars 2 and had not played Pillars 1, then they had to go yeah. through this whole, this whole thing. And I, and I, and I, it was just a challenge and I, and I'm, I, 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 we feel, or I feel that it maybe pushed some people away from the game because they, they felt they had to know too much about, they needed to know too much from Pillars 1 to enjoy Pillars 2. And then actually people then didn't play Pillars 2 because of that. And and it's an awesome game that they could have enjoyed. And so I think, I don't know, I don't know whether it was just better messaging to everybody or, or, or easier way to get into the game. I don't know what the answer was there, but I think that's something else we could have done. See, that's me. That's where I fall because if I, I will not watch a sequel, I will not play a sequel if I have not played the first one. So Mm -hmm. I had, I had Pillars of Eternity. I don't know if I ever even bought it. I hope it's not on my pile of shame. I know it's on my wish list. Yeah. Um, for like GOG, but see, I'm not even going to play part two yeah. until I go through part one. Yep. But I wanted to ask, because it sounds like just from what you said before, so it seems to me like you're kind of okay with the modding community. But you say, you know, they fixed Fallout 2 and stuff. Some of them, man, like some of those games I'll get on GOG. It's just, uh, God bless the modders, man. Like mm-hmm. the, the dude that patched Call of Cthulhu Dark Corners of the Earth, whoever you are, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Just, you know, you install the patch and Slap it in there. Bam. You know, it could have been Cthulhu. It can't make yeah, very yeah. Well I could sit down here. All part of the grand plan. <laughs> but yeah, I just hearing you talk about the mods. So yeah, you're you're pretty cool with modders. I mean, have you had much interaction with them? Or is it just one of those, we know they're there, just let them do their thing. They're not bothering us. We're not bothering them kind of thing. It depends upon the product, right? So like right. Neverwinter, that was Neverwinter Nights 2 was all about that. And actually we continued to like support modders like for a super long time. Like, so we, he started, you know, actually <laughs> it was funny. 
He basically got a job. His name is Rich Taylor, and Rich Taylor got a job at Interplay three days, like, and as a part of Black Owl Studios. And then three days later, I quit. So I never even met him. He just came in, started his job, and then I was out. And then, but he was he kept in con- touch with uh, one of my other uh, found one of the founders of Obsidian, uh, Chris Jones, who was our head of technology. And so he then brought Rich over, and so he's like one of the very early employees. And he's super into multiplayer games and multiplayer communities and, and, and modding and things like that. And so he then, while he wasn't running the, the, the core product of Neverwinter 2, he then actually sort of took it over and, and was, and he's super involved with, he was super involved with all the modders and everything like that. And he, and he expanded like all these things and he exposed stuff in the ex- executable to them. And so that, that at one point we kind of, he had to move on to other products and Atari wasn't giving us any more money to work on it. And so he basically just started did one final patch and like exposed all these things in Neverwinter Nights 2 that if someone was more of a programmer type modder, they could, they could basically then communicate with the game more easily and kind of, kind of create, create all this other kind of stuff. And so that the, you know, so it was actually, and so was, and so he kind of, his career kept on that way. Um, and actually, I think what what he's doing now, I think he's the he's the he's the head of I think he's the game director or the executive producer. I'm not sure on actually on uh, well, classic is what he's doing. Okay. Now. Oh, yeah. okay, that's cool. I got a question for you now. You're a video game developer. What is your opinion on Hollywood's inability to create a good video game movie? I mean, there are <laughs> there are a few good ones out there, but you know, more times than not, they're shit. So what's yeah. the deal there? They well, I mean, first of all, the thing is, there's a lot of shitty movies, right? So I yes, think so, yeah. so. I think, but I think the problem is, is that so there is also a lot of shitty video games based on movies, right? So <laughs> and licensed games suck. <laughs> So, so I think what the thing is, is I think what you, you can go and I'm going to pat my pat ourselves on the back momentarily here. It is about like, okay, I have this license. What is awesome about the license? Not what, and, and what is awesome about the license for fans of the license? Not what I think I see in it. Not like what I don't want. And this is not about me putting my butt print on it. You know, in South Park, I think, you know, South Park's stick of truth. Again, I'm not trying to but I think where I'm proud of South Park is like people look at it and goes, that's South Park in a game, right? It is, there's none of there's no other kind of crap. It's not like us trying to make our own version of South Park. We're not trying to create characters. This is like this. And that's the same with Star Wars and everything else. So I think the answer to you, why can't anyone create a good video game movie is because Hollywood takes the license and then they interpret it for other audiences. When we're making a South Park game, yeah, we're thinking about gameplay for gamers but the South Park part of it is it has to be South Park. It cannot be some other weird ass incarnate. Yeah. I mean, I mean, South Park, I mean, the, the game, I mean, it, you know, it, it like we did crazy crap because like, you know, for Matt and Trey, like <laughs> South Park animation looks like South Park animation because it's based upon like, you know, on NTSC, right? It's 2997, whatever frames per second. So we had to go hot, like, how do we do that? Like, and so we had to like, like, how do we sync our game engine animation with how they do their animation to make it look exactly like it and not to like, you know, kick the dead horse. But I, I think that's where people who take a license, people take a license, apply to a film and they don't, they don't take that. They don't really put themselves in it right. and know what people want from it. With South Park, and, how involved were Trey and Matt? Were they like, uh, they were Super involved. I mean, I mean, I don't know how many hours. I mean, I spent hours and hours and hours and hours in that tray. We were in their apartments in New York. We hung out with them here in California. We randomly, we both, us and them both had tickets to see the Spider-Man Broadway show when it was in preview. My favorite, my, actually, like, my, one of my favorite Matt and Trey story was like, so we were out there, I think the day after the Tonys when they won all the Tonys. And so, but we had not seen it yet. And so we, so they won all these Tonys. We, we get up to, to their room, or sorry, uh, uh, Trey's apartment and walk in. And this is what's awesome about Trey. Like, I mean, he's got a gazillion dollars, but he just like, so he has this nice apartment. It's near Central Park, but it's just like a normal apartment. It's not like crazy. It has like a nice normal size family, like a small kitchen, has like two bedrooms, one and a half baths. I mean, like not crazy. I mean, it's got a nice view and all that kind of stuff. It's just this normal place. Anyways, but you walk in and then, and you're in this little hallway and there's like, there's like a little table, right? Little table where you, where you like, you throw your creek, your keys and your, in your wallet and all that kind of crap when right. you walk into a bar, right? 
there's just five Tonys just littered on, like half of them are flipped over and just like laying there <laughs> on this little side thing. Not that, of course, he, of course, huge thing that he got Tonys and all that kind of stuff, but he could just, that's just, and we walk in there and they're kind of recovering from, you know, what was probably late nights. We sit down and and um, we're talking and the trade trades and we said, oh, okay, well, I mean, he goes, have you seen it yet? And uh, I'm like, no, we're actually, he goes, no, we're actually, we're actually going to see, um, we're going to see Book of Mormon tonight. And he's like, okay, well, because I know you guys are coming back tomorrow. I mean, really interested in what you, what, what you, what you think about it. And I'm like, my brain, I'm like, dude, just won. I don't know how many Tonys, like, he's, <laughs> this is his thing. And, and like, I, and I'm a guy, I like Broadway, but I'm not like, you know, like, yeah. I, I don't like, what could I say about the Book of Mormon? I think you the know, Tony that, speaks for itself. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but I mean, but it was a great example of like how important that things were perfect. You know, that's, I think that's Trey's thing of like, just how much it just needs to be perfect. And so anyway, so yeah, so we, we got to spend a ton of time with him. And then, and then what was awesome is that our writer, a guy named Eric Fenstermaker got, they, they first started off like, well, you're not going to write any of this. We're going to write all of it. And we were like, totally get it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, in our minds, we got good writers. We may, maybe we'll prove to him and we ended up proving it to him. And Eric Fenstermaker ended up writing a good third of uh, the sick truth um, and was you know, and end up being Matt and Trey were perfectly comfortable with him doing that. Speaking of remasters and remakes seem to be the rage mm -hmm. right now. Is there anything mm -hmm. that you would like to go back and revisit in your catalog to remaster? In my brain, I, I, I you know, like it's funny because <laughs> I just booted up uh, KOTOR 2. I, you know, I try to go back and play our games a little bit, you know, every once in a while. And I went back about six months ago and I played KOTOR 2 for a few hours. And because in my my brain, I'm like, and and because sometimes I'm just interested of like how playable are they and how do they feel, and I'm like, and maybe electronics, like we have no control over this, so don't. This is totally beyond us. I have nothing to do with this if they decide to do it. So they may do a remaster. I know they're doing a remaster, Kotor one, and maybe they're right. Kotor two. But but I played it, and I'm like, in my brain though, it was like, this is awesome. Like it's 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 not. Of course, it it's there's not the detail level, the number of props and the perfect right. lighting and all that kind of crap. I was having fun, and and the graphics are not objectionable, you know. So I don't remaster, you know. Um, the only thing I think we I'd want to do is I think it would be cool if we could take Alpha Protocol and fix the janky parts. Yeah, that I, I think if there's anything I would want to do is is do that. Redo gotcha. Shattered Steel. <laughs> <laughs> Give me some good old thrash metal. 80s thrash metal synth wave with some shattered steel giant mech robots. I'll do the Don LaFontaine voice for you. Hell, I'll do the soundtrack. Redo shattered steel. We got a thing here, man. I'm thinking more like Time Cop. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. So, in your opinion, Fergus, what are the good, the best elements that make up an RPG? Coming from the RPG man. I mean, I'll tell you this overarching thing about an RPG. So an RPG more than any game is a sum of its parts, right? So. So what makes an RPG an RPG is this thing where you have, like you have all these things that you get to go and do and experience in a world, right? So that's, and it's, and it's you have, um, we often call them vectors, but you have mo multiple things that you're thinking about and doing at all points in time, right? You have your character, you have your companions, you have the story, you have crafting, you have, I don't know, maybe you're building a castle, whatever it is, right? So you have all these things. And so you, you're, you're, you're in your head, you're constantly balancing this thing while figuring out what you're supposed to do in the world and, and, and how to build your character and all that kind of stuff. So, but kind of take moving away from that more, all that. I think the, the key really things are you have to have, a, you have to have um, for a lot of players, you need to have, and it's not all players. So that's why I say it that way. You have to have a really good character progression system. So it's this idea of like, because of being in an RPG, there's a certain amount of character about your character power, right? You go from, you know, you go from a, um, you know, a switchblade, you know, to a plus nine Vorpal sword, right? Yeah. So, so there has to be that. And it has to feel that growth. So it's a lot about growth. The second, the, the second important thing is you have to feel that you're, um, you have impact on the world. In other words, that, the, that you do things in the world, you get to choose those things. And what you choose impacts the world in a way that you chose. Right. So that that's a key element. And that's really a part of the story and the quests um, and all that other kind of stuff. And then the last part I would say is it needs to feel like a world. Right. That's the thing. I mean, that's what people love. But like you go into Witcher, you start the Witcher and you do some funky stuff. But then you go into this the village the first time and the wind is doing and there's a river and there's people walking mm -hmm. around and they're telling you that you're a horrible Witcher. But, you know, but you're like, wow, this it just like I feel like I'm here. You know, and the, the thing that I always think about when I think about that aspect of games is 
So I was reading this article years and years ago, and it was when it was when like I think the last the last last director's cut of Blade Runner came out, and there was this article in the Los Angeles Times, and it was about Ridley Scott, and they were just talking about like his just attention to making this feel real, like maybe authentic is a better way. It's just mm-hmm. like this is a this is a, like I'm actually, and they were were talking to one of the the guys who did the sets. And he said, he goes like, it was just, he goes, it's this crazy thing just about like, obviously what, you know, I mean, obviously he said, I have some expertise and I do this, but then, you know, Ridley's like push and all this. And he was like, I remember I was sitting in, he goes, just, we were, we had a break and I was sitting in Decker's apartment and I'm just sitting there and I'm looking around. I'm like, God, this could be someone's apartment. Like, you know what I mean? And like, (laughs) you know what I mean? And and not that like TV sets and movie sets aren't like, it looks like an apartment. He goes, but this one's like, God, it's like in a like literally like some dude lives here, mm-hmm. and um and I think that's important for RPGs. It just needs to feel like these people live here, and it's it's a it's an actual fully realized world. So that I feel like I'm adventuring it, and so I know that's I, to me that's not always talked about, but I think that's a, that's a super key thing to RPGs. Agreed on all those. I guess just to wrap up here, since we're about to let mm-hmm. you go on the hour, do you have anything in the pipeline? Anything on the horizon you can tell us about? I mean, actually, most of your stuff, I think. All, actually, all of our stuff is announced. And actually, our one thing that's not announced, people already know it's Josh Sawyer is working on something. And um, you can always go to his Twitter and see what he might be talking about as it relates to it. But no, yeah, most of our stuff is all announced. We're working on Grounded, which is the Honey, I Shrink the Kids survival game. Um, Avowed, which is our new fantasy, you know, uh, first person fantasy game. Yeah. That's that's uh, in the Pillars of Eternity world. And then The Outer Worlds 2, which that trailer I was super happy with. So I'm like, it's funny. I don't know if you ever, if you guys watched the Outer Worlds 2 trailer, but it's one of those things where you're like, okay, we think this will land well. Like, cause it's a joke, right? It's not a joke. It's, it's, it's supposed to be a, a, a silly, it's silly. It's a, there's a word in there that I can't think of the right word, but, um, uh, but uh, you know, and sometimes you're like, okay, it's, you're sort of taking a, you know, a leap of faith that you, because you think it's funny, <laughs> other people will think it's funny. You're hoping the joke lands. Yes. You're <laughs> the joke lands. And when so your whole trailer is a joke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you have to be careful because you don't want to end up being like Dead Island 2, which was like the greatest trailer yes. of the last decade. And then the game did not even come out. <laughs> yeah. You know, a trailer that starts out campy because Dead I kind of played the shit out of that game too. But <laughs> Dead Island 2, you know, when it comes out, you're we almost We almost made Dead Island 2. So. Oh, man. See, <laughs> you're, ex- you're expecting some sort of camp because yeah. the first one had it. But then yeah. as the trailer goes on and on, it's like, Holy shit, this is intense. Like yeah, no, yep, that yep. is still go look if you haven't seen the Dead Island 2 trailer, you need to go and watch it. Oh yeah, that the original one's like, awesome. Yeah. yeah, that stole the show at E3. Well, Fergus, it's been a pleasure talking to you, man. Yeah, thank you, yeah, man. Yeah, thanks. No, it was great talking to you guys. It's, it's been a lot of fun, man. Seriously. You have thanks. a great rest of your evening, man. All right, man. Hey. Take it easy. Yeah. Okay. Bye. Welcome to the night. You think you know Night Demon? Then the Night Demon Heavy Metal Podcast is for you. Step into the darkness as we peel back the curtain to give you an unprecedented, all-access look into the mind and the heart of the demon. We're talking band history, song analysis, studio anecdotes, stories from the road. It's everything a diehard Night Demon fan could want and more. This is the only place to learn the inside scoop, the deep dive trivia, the untold tales from the band members themselves and those closest to the Night Demon story. Need more? The sacred Night Demon crypt will be pried open to reveal demo recordings that have never before seen the light of day. All with in-depth commentary by the band and the people who were there for the writing and recording process. This is a gold mine, a treasure trove of all things Night Demon. Head over to nightdemon.net or wherever you listen to podcasts.